Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you here this morning for our last and final talk on Love Is. Uh, Some of you can't wait for this moment. Others can't wait till it's over. So uh, last week's message, uh, Pastor Jason shared a message about love covers. And it was a message about how we honor and how we respect one another. And I love how he applied it to to racism and racial hatred that's going on in our country today. I love how he did that. And I and I so appreciate Pastor Jason's courage to even go there. Not just his courage. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Not just his courage to talk about a difficult subject, but his compassion, right? His compassion, God's compassion to those who have been effect, affected by racial hatred. And so... Um, that was a very, very important message. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I encourage you to go online and listen to it. You know, every pastor has to decide whether he's going to say things that cause people to show up or grow up. And I'm glad you showed up today. Don't misunderstand me. But our goal is not to see how many people will show up. Our goal is to see how many people will grow up. And sometimes, sometimes that means we say things that are tough, that are difficult, that we may disagree on or maybe we agree on. Well, last week's talk was was like that. And I think this week's talk about uh, love desires, a message about sex and sexuality is going to be similar in that way. I want us to all grow up in the area of sex and sexuality. We're all trying to move to the center or move to um, God's side on the issue of sex. Okay, and so that's where we're going here this morning. And uh, our our three teenage kids, they were in the last service and I was completely comfortable with them being in the service and and they were glad they were there and and there were some important things they needed to hear. Um, Parents, it's your decision on on your kids being in the service today. Uh, Tonight we have a panel discussion on sex and sexuality and it will be uncensored. Okay, uncensored. Parents, you decide. All right. Uh, it's an uncensored discussion. We will provide child care for ages five and under, as well as for kindergarten through eighth grade. We will provide um, a movie in the um, uh, in the kids auditorium. So uh, but parents, that's your decision about your teenagers for tonight. Uncensored discussion. Carrie and I will moderate a panel discussion. That panel will be made up of um, a very diverse panel. Uh, we'll have single people on that panel and married people on that panel and the nations on that panel and, and, and old and young on that panel. It's a big panel of people that we're going to ask questions to. Now, you're the ones asking the questions. OK, in the bulletin that you have today, there's a card that says love is. And that's where you can write down your questions about sex and sexuality. After the service, take that card and turn it into either the information center or one of our give boxes in the upper lobby or the lower bo- lobby and drop those cards off. Those questions are going to come in. They're going to be asked tonight. OK, so if um, if you've got a great question, we want to know it and we want to address that tonight. OK. Makes sense. We also have um, an opportunity for you to text your question. Woo! I love it. Uh, text your question. If you don't want to write it out, just text it, and we'll get them all organized and ready for tonight's discussion. Um, oh, and by the way, we do have ice cream afterwards. 
All right. So let's jump into love desires this morning. Song of Songs, chapter eight, verse four. The Song of Songs is a love poem um, and it's a love poem between two lovers, between a bride and a groom who've, who've just gotten married and they're, they're, they're expressing their desire for one another that culminates in sex. Didn't know that, did you? Some of you are going to go home and read the Bible for the first time this afternoon. (laughs) Song of songs, right? Uh, Daughters of Jerusalem. Here's what these two lovers have to say. Here's the advice they give. They give it one, two, three times. And the last time they give this advice is right after they have sex. And they say this, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, what they're saying is, man, we just had sex. It was incredible. But listen, here's our advice. Don't arouse it. Don't awaken it before it desires, before the right time. They're saying this is a beautiful thing. God took an entire book of the Bible and he said, I want you guys to understand what love desires is all about. And you can read about the palm branches and the coconuts and all the whatever, whatever is in Song of Songs. And and you figure it out. Okay, Uh, you kind of have to interpret some things a little bit there. Okay. So what these lovers are telling us is that as we approach sex and sexuality, we have to approach it differently than the world that we live in. If we approach this subject like the culture around us, then they will never know. They will never know, church, that we are disciples by our love for one another. They have to see how we love each other. In sexual ways, they have to see that it is holy and that it's set apart and that it's different. If it's not set apart, if it's not holy, if it's not different, if it's not sacred, then we lose our testimony of Jesus. We lose our ability as disciples. We lose our ability to say this is what sexuality is intended to look like. Sexual idolatry. Has, I think, taken over America. Sexual idolatry. An idol is anything you can't get enough of. Americans can't get enough of sex. I watch the nightly news every once in a while, and I I, I realize that it's geared towards an older audience. I think I counted like six Viagra commercials in just one 30-minute span of, of national news. I mean, we just can't get enough of this stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You look, I don't need to go through all the statistics and all of this and that. The young generation, they feel more guilty about not recycling than they feel guilty about viewing pornography. That is the statistical evidence. Huge studies that Barna has put out. Our young generation, they are more convicted if they don't throw away the recycle, if they throw away the recycle when they should have recycled, then they feel shame about pornography. So the culture we live in today is is wild sex. And so now this is what we see. This is what we see. This is what we see every day. And so our expectations then of what sexuality looks like is skewed. It is way off mark from what God intended. And when we begin to realize this as Christians, we go, okay, okay, we got to get this thing right. And so we start asking questions, questions like, what can I get away with and still be right with God? Questions like, can I be gay and still be a Christian? Questions like, how far is too far? 
And these are honest and they're sincere questions. Don't get me wrong. But these questions are also relevatory. They reveal what's going on inside of a person's heart. When you start asking questions like, what can I get away with? And how far is too far? What you're, what you're revealing from your heart is this. Is that not only the world is filled with sexual idolatry, but your very own heart is filled with sexual idolatry. Because whatever you can't get enough of, that is your God. And we have turned, instead of worshiping the creator, we have begun to worship creation. So what if instead of asking how far is too far and what can I get away with? What if we ask the question this morning, how can I worship God with my sexuality? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul addresses this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. He's talking to believers like we are this morning here. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I have a question this morning. What if our sex became holy and pleasing to God? What if we began to see sex as a spiritual act of worship? <laughs> and that's kind of crazy. What, what, if, what if we worshipped God with how we sexually behaved? And you thought worship was 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. I got good news for you, men. Worship can be 20 minutes on a Friday night. <laughs> we don't think about it like that. We think, well, this is my time to get what I want and my this and that and whatever have you. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. God intended for everything that we use our bodies for, for, for working, for having sex, for serving. Everything we use our bodies for should be, should be to worship our Lord. So this message today is not about how to have great sex. Sorry to disappoint you, men. This is a message about what makes sex so great. Three things that make sex so great. The first thing is God. God is what makes sex so great. Sex and sexuality is great because it was his idea. And I'm so glad he thought of it. One day he told the angels, you know what? I got an idea. And he told them about sex. And he said, you know, I don't think you're going to completely understand this, angels, right? You're not going to be able to appreciate this. But I'm going to give this gift to mankind. And it's this gift of sex and sexuality. Sex had its beginning in the very beginning. It was very clear in Scripture. And as you read through Genesis chapter 2, Moses is naming all the animals. And after he finished naming them, the Bible says, but no suitable helper, no suitable helper was found for Adam. So God caused Adam to fall into this deep sleep and he took this rib out of out of man, out of Adam, and he created this woman out of this rib. And then he brought the woman to the man and the man looked at the woman and he goes, finally, this is now bone of my bone and, and flesh of my flesh. She was taken from man, so she shall be called woman. And then the Bible says in Genesis 2 and verse number 24, look at it with me this morning. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
I wonder this morning, what would it look like for for us to return to to sex without shame? What would it look like to return to to sex without sin? What would it look like to return to a, a sex life or a sexuality that worships God? Well, the only way we can find out is to go back to the very beginning of sex and God's original intent for sex. And it's found right there. We just read it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24. God established the boundaries. He established the place where there, there, there should be no sin, there should be no shame, and where sex can be enjoyed. And it's within the confines of marriage. The second thing that makes sex great this morning is marriage. Marriage is what makes it so great. If you're single here this morning, we're really glad that you're here. And if you plan to get married, take some good notes. You'll need them later. Okay. Uh, I do plan to speak a very specific message to singles here in the next couple months about singles and sexuality and purity and finding a spouse and that sort of thing and how to glorify God with your body as a single. But today we're going to really drill down and focus on marriage and sex within marriage. Historically, every religion on the face of the earth has practiced all types of sexual behavior. See, at the time when Moses walked up Mount Sinai to write the Ten Commandments, every pagan culture celebrated various expressions of sexuality within their prospective religion. There was everything from polygamy, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, sex before marriage. All of this existed for a long time. It's not just something in our day. It was something back in the day when Moses began to write the Ten Commandments. It was the sexual climate that he grew up in. There was no such thing as marital infidelity. There was no such thing as that. In fact, if you would have brought that idea up, people would have just laughed at you. Now, these various pagan religions, they would actually worship God with their sexuality. They, what they thought was worshiping God. They would have sex with prostitutes. They'd have men would have sex with men, women with women. And they thought this is an expression of worship. And then God says, Moses, I want you to climb up this mountain. I'm going to give you some, some commandments about sexuality. Now, if you were Moses, what would have you written about sex? What kind of boundaries would you have brought to sex if you were Moses? Think about this. This is the culture he lives in. There was no boundaries whatsoever. Okay? At that point in all the pagan culture, just like our culture today, there's like no boundaries. So Moses walks up to the mountain and he comes back with a commandment that says this. You shall not commit adultery. In today's terms, that means one man... One woman for life. Okay? He puts the boundaries that now. How many of you know that came from God? That came from God because if it was up to Moses, last time I checked, he was a man. And last time I checked, all the other cult leaders of the world, they've come up with their own rules about sex. And it usually means this as the sex, as the cult leader, I get to have sex with as many women as I want. That's what happens in cults, right? So Moses has this group of people that, are, that they're following him. He's leading. He's like, man, I get to write the boundaries about sex. Woo-hoo. And what does he write? One man, one woman for life. You shall not commit adultery. Where do you suppose Moses got that from? Well, we got it from God. But he got it from the very beginning. God's original intent for sex, which is Genesis 2 and 24. One man, one woman coming together. Jesus affirmed, excuse me, Jesus affirmed that marriage was between one man and one woman for life. And we can find that in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. The Bible says that at the beginning of creation, God made them. This is Jesus talking here. He's quoting at the beginning of creation. God made them male and female. 
And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. How many of you know Satan has been working overtime to separate what God has brought together? We have divorce, we have homosexuality, we have same-sex marriage, we have gender identity confusion. All of these things are the work of our enemy, Satan himself, trying to separate what God has brought together, one man, one woman, for life in the context of marriage. The Apostle Paul, he also wrote to new Christians living in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi. These were all pagan cities with Greek culture, not Jewish culture, okay? And he said, I've got to tell you about what God had in mind for sexuality. You've got to understand that when Paul brought this stuff up, the, the, uh, there were temples in Corinth during that day. There were temple prostitutes uh, in these temples. We have greeters at our, our doors. They had prostitutes at their doors. And for a nice small tax-deductible gift, you could pay off a prostitute and you could have sex with her in the temple. And back then, it was considered worship to God in these pagan religions. That is the culture in which Paul grew up in. That's the culture in which Paul is talking to these new Christians. And this is what he says about sexuality in 1 Corinthians 6.15. He says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Here we have Paul going back to Genesis chapter 2 and 24, just like Jesus went back to Genesis 2 and 24. We see a pattern here, don't we? We have God, we have Moses, we have Jesus, we have the apostles all saying the same thing, that marriage is where sex belongs, and marriage is what makes sex great. I want to show you a photo this morning. This is a photo of what's left of a home after a forest fire. You'll notice, there it is. You'll notice the only thing left standing is what? Yeah, chimney, the fireplace. Why is that? Because the fireplace is the only place designed for fire. Sex is like a fire. If you take it out of the fireplace of marriage, it burns everything. You lose everything. But if you keep fire within the fireplace of marriage, you can enjoy everything. Okay? Let me be abundantly clear this morning. Sexuality is not a personal preference. Sex and sexuality is a divine predetermination. Male and female, he created them. And the two, male and female, shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. Sex and sexuality is not a personal preference. It'd be like saying, how would you like your fire? <laughs> kind of like how you like your coffee. How would you like your coffee? How would you like your fire? Well, I'd like my fire out here on the porch, just right here on the wood deck. Just build a nice big fire. Well, no, I'd take it inside the house. It belongs in the house. Let's build the fire right out here on the carpet. It'll be fine. Right. Or, hey, we can build a fire on the carpet right in front of the fireplace, really close to the fireplace. We're engaged. We're close enough. Right. See. Or, hey, we can build a fire um, among the same genders. We can build that sex fire within the same genders. 
Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? We're not really going deep into that this morning. But the Bible, not, not in, it doesn't imply that homosexuality is a sin. It is very implicit that it is sin. And I don't have the time to go to it this morning, but you can read it in Leviticus 18, the Old Covenant, Romans chapter 1, the New Covenant. You can listen to my message about the gospel and homosexuality. Uh, I preached a message a few years ago, September 30th, 2012. Uh, Write that down if you want to listen, September 30, 2012, and you can listen more on that. Okay, God determined that sex, like a fire, will consume and destroy relationships outside of marriage. Your purity, your self-respect, your testimony of Jesus... But inside the fireplace of marriage, sex is hot. What I mean by that is this. Sex within marriage, you can build that fire as often as you want. You can build it as hot as you want. And you can enjoy it there because that was God's design. How many of you say amen? Amen. So with that, I want to talk about sex within marriage in more detail. Um, And we're going to continue in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And keep in mind that this this church in Corinth had the reputation or excuse me, that the, that the city of Corinth had the reputation of being the most immoral city in the world. OK, they had the temple prostitutes going on. It was crazy. Everybody was just doing all kinds of crazy, wild living, all very um, sinful, sexual living. And it's in this context that Paul gives advice about sex within marriage. First Corinthians, chapter seven, verse number one. Paul writes this now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, I'm glad Paul didn't stop there because I'd go home sad. Uh, But verse two, he picks up. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Verse 5. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent. And for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. And this was Paul was single as he was writing this. He may have been married at one point, but he's single as he's writing this. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. My gift, Paul said, was to be single. Some of you don't have the gift to be single. So if that's the case, it's better to marry than to burn with passion, he said later on in chapter 7. But the verse I want to drill down in is is verse number 5, which he says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent. Sexual desire um, differs in marriage. And if you're married, you you may be saying amen on the inside, but you're not going to say it loud on the outside. In every marriage, uh, one person wants sex more than the other person. So this can present a real problem in marriage, right? And, and by the way, that's so normal. You need to understand that's normal. 
Uh, I've never met a couple who said, man, we are so eye to eye. We just totally agree. We both are like, you know, on the same page when it comes to sex. No, there's always one person that enjoys it more than the other, wants it more than the other. And Paul addresses that question. What do we do? And he says very plainly, very plainly, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So we're going to break that down. Practically, what does it look like? Carrie's going to come and give some advice to men on this subject. And I'm going to give some advice, advice to women on this subject. So uh, ready or not, here we come, right? And, and here's, here's what you need to keep in mind. If you want to sum up what Paul said was, he said this, men, you need to focus on your responsibility, not your rights. Women, you need to focus on your responsibility, not your rights. So put your hands together as Carrie shares. I don't know if this is a fun topic to talk about or a really unfun topic to talk about. But come back tonight. There'll be more people to spread out the fun. Okay, um, but my job this morning is to speak to the men and share perhaps what their wives would like to share but never have or don't have the courage to share. Of course, I can't represent every woman in my comments this morning, but I can do the best of my ability to, to um, say what I think as well as represent many, many, many women that have talked to me over the course of the last few years. So don't worry what we'll talk next. So guys, you know, you, you can get your payback, but this is your turn first for me. Okay. So here's what it means for a man to share his body with his wife. And I already noticed that the guys did not laugh at that last comment. So I like, it's a foreshadowing, you know, of, okay. So Walt read that, that verse about a man sharing his wife with his body. And there are a lot of ways your body are, um, is shared that are not sexual in nature. And if you consider the breakdown of time in your life and in a given week or a given month and you set aside the time um, that would be for sex, it's much, much lower than all the rest of the time sections. And so a mistake that can be made is to feel like, um, you know, this is all the time and forget about um, all the rest of the time of your life, all the rest of the time of your marriage, the coming and going of your daily life and how that impacts your wife's desire to have sex when the slot comes to have sex. So um, you're sharing your body with your wife, not just through sexual relations, but by not being lazy, by working a job, by helping around the house, by fixing things, by listening, by caring about your wife, by being nice to her. Um, just general basic niceness goes a really, really long way. Um, and sharing um, basically in non-sexual ways with your, with your wife. I cannot tell you how many, and this is kind of a tangent here, I cannot tell you how many uh, women have said, I want my husband to be the spiritual leader of the house. You know, they'll say, I want my husband to be the spiritual leader of the house. And they have an idea of what that looks like that I think may be unrealistic. But um, the general idea, um, you know, the general gist would be that they'd probably really enjoy you taking, you know, some little baby steps, you know, initiate coming to church or, you know, take your kids to the nursery so you guys can sit, you know, uninterrupted or that sort of thing. That was like for extra 
unplanned um, talking there. Laziness is very unattractive. And if you never do anything around the house, if you don't care about providing, that's very, very unattractive. And that will affect your wife's desire to have sex with you because no woman wants to have sex with a loser. So if, okay. So, so anyway, so, you know, lifting things from time to time, carrying the groceries, you know, Walt is a very, very, very hard worker. I don't know of any person that works any harder than Walt. And, um, the only time he watches TV is usually when he's lifting weights. Believe it or not, Walt lifts weights, you know? (laughs) So anyway, um, Anyway, so, well, as you can tell, he watches very little TV. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, Walt. It just came to me. I just, I couldn't help myself. Okay. So anyway, so, so anyway, um, that's being lazy is unattractive to virtually every woman I know. So, um, also work, not just your job, unless you work a blue collar job where you're working manually, but just working around the house or physical work will impact or impact your testosterone levels, you know, which might make it so that you don't, you know, have as much sexual energy that you feel always needs to come out, you know? And if you're sitting on the couch watching television all the time and you're filling your mind with the commercials of the, uh, the girls that are 20 years old and are supermodels and, you know, have breast implants and all those things. And then when your wife, you know, after putting the kids to bed, you know, you're raring to go and expect your wife to be like that. And so, um, so laziness, um, or not, you know, being a worker, um, is like a double edged sword because it's unattractive at that one level. And then it's also, um, not helping the, um, the, the inequality, the potential inequality between the sex drives of the husband and the wife. So, um, anyway, so it, um, all uh, like watching television or viewing pornography or things like that, what it can do is it can um, affect your expectations in terms of quantity of sex, in terms of the type of sex that you're expecting, in terms of your role behind the women's role in the sexual relationship. You know, how you see the how aggressive a woman is um, in terms of a sexual relationship. All of that is impacted by what you're watching, what you're seeing, what you think. I mean, television shows all the time. You know, show a relationship between a man and a woman with the role of the man and the woman being sometimes what is unnatural, you know, to human beings. Um, But everything is so sexualized, just like Walt was talking about, and that that warps those things. So um, giving your wife your body also means that you don't share your body with um, another woman. And that is not just having an affair. you know, if you don't want to share your, you know, if you want to share your body with another woman and you married somebody, well, that's your own fault because you're married now and you can't help it. It's like you're stuck. You know, you're a one woman guy. Take it or leave it. And that doesn't mean just having an affair with the girl in the office, but that also means, you know, viewing pornography and fantasizing, lusting after other women other than your wife. You know, if you want to lust after somebody, you need to be lusting after your wife, not other people, because as soon as you get married, then you're a one woman guy everywhere, not just physically, but in your mind, spiritually and all that kind of stuff. And somebody say, that's good. 
All right. So, um, so there's a lot of ways other than the physical that you are sharing your body and your wife does not need to meet the expectations of everything you see and view. That's not her responsibility or obligation. Okay. That's like your problem for watching or seeing something or whatever that is warping, um, your view or is kind of guiding your, um, perception or, or expectations, if you will, of your wife. So um, you can't project that on your wife. It's not fair to her. All right, moving right along. Um, in my experience talking with women, one sign, now this is not always true, but one sign or red flag to me when I'm talking to a woman is when, in terms of what I was just talking about, is when a woman um, starts getting pressured by her husband to change her appearance. Uh, changing her hair color, um, getting some kind of plastic surgery, breast implants, losing a weight. Um, you know, I don't know if I already said changing hair color, but those types of things. She dr- dramatically changing the style of dress that she has always worn or whatever, especially when that person has basically been the same, you know, like since you met them and, and that sort of thing. And it's almost, it can seem like it's a guy fantasizing um, and trying to turn their spouse into a different woman other than the woman that they are. So I'm not saying that's always the case, but it's, um, it might be. And if you find yourself feeling that way about your wife, um, maybe that's part of the problem. And, um, and so you can ask God and begin, this can be a question for tonight where we can talk more about this, but how we can transform our mind to become a one woman man again, if you haven't always been. Or if you veered off or whatever. Um, At the same token, you know, from a women's perspective, Walt's going to address it. You know, we can't be like, you know, naggy and mean and, you know, just like lazy and all that kind of stuff too, because that's not fair to the guys. Okay. And Walt will address that. But Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, if they can throw it up quick, otherwise. um, Yeah. Thanks. Husbands love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I just want to address real quick, giving and taking idea. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you can force yourself on your wife, um, in a, in a physical way. You know, if you're aggressively, um, um, forcing physical relations on your wife, that, that could even be as far as rape or abuse. Certainly. Um, God's design for sex is that it should be consensual in a godly married relationship. And so I just wanted to address that briefly. And so just because God has ordained sex in your marriage, and that's true. And sometimes there's a difference between the man and the woman and their, the quantity and the type and all that kind of thing. Um, that doesn't mean that it's okay for the guy to just, you know, treat his wife like a prostitute that I paid a hundred bucks so I can do whatever I want with you. That's not God's intention in terms of marriage. Somebody say amen. Okay. And so, uh, there's a story really quick. Um, of this high powered relationship, there's high powered relationship of the husband and wife where the, where they're in the middle of having sex and the woman gets a call from work and it's, uh, and, um, the guy's like, just ignore it or whatever. And she's like, fine. Well, anyway, it come to find out this call was a very important call. She ended up missing a crucial meeting and she ended up missing a huge opportunity to have a promotion. And so, um, after that, um, after that event, she said, She said to her husband, she said, you asking me not to take that call, um, took something from me and I can never get that back. 
And that's what can happen in a marriage relationship when you take something from your wife. There is something that's taken that will never come back. So be careful not to take something that she'll never get back um, because it's not worth it. So anyway, uh, it's such a powerful image to me, that story, that uh, sex is important, but it's not the most important thing. Sex is not love. Sex is a reflection of love. And sometimes we get that confused. So, um, and we can tell that by people that are deployed and people that have physical limitations, that the physical act of sex does not, is not equal to, like a mathematic equation, love. Rather, it's a reflection of love. So um, all these different things, bossing your wife around or whatever, a lot of times those things where you feel like that's making me the man of the house, what that creates is that can create bitterness and pain that ultimately hinders your chances of feeling sexually satisfied in your relationship and being on the same page um, of your relationship and can impact your uh, wife's desire for sex and ultimately her attraction to you. So, um, so anyway, that's where the whole component of really, these are so interwoven. And I even mentioned, you know, one, uh, the women, I want you to be the spiritual leader of the house. Well, there's this spiritual component of a physical relationship and an emotional component that's like being nice and a physical component, which is a sexual relationship. And really they're all very interwoven, particularly for the woman. They're very interwoven. And as you can like work, you know, on some of those at the same time or working uh, even on just one part or another part at a time where you just say, I'm going to say one nice thing to my wife every single day. I'm going to say one nice thing to her. And, um, or I'm going to say one nice thing about her, like on the inside. And I'm going to say one nice thing about her on the outside or something like that. And then I'm going to do one thing that will, um, that will demonstrate to her if she's expressed to you a desire to be a spiritual leader. I'm going to do one thing a week to demonstrate to her that I do care about God, even if it looks different than her, that I do care about him. I'm going to do one thing that week, you know. And so anyway, so you don't have to change and be a different person, but you can take tiny little steps that can communicate to your wife. Um, I love you and I care about you. I like you the way you are. I'm, I'm, um, committed to us growing closer together. Um, and I'm not just, you know, only caring about the physical relationship. All right. Great advice, Carrie. Thank you for that. Uh, you writing your questions down? Okay. If you have questions, please, we want your questions. We're going to be addressing those tonight. So now my responsibility, what does it mean for a wife to share her body with her husband? Oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble now. Okay, ladies, listen up. Okay. When you got married, you agreed to have sex with your husband. You're like, well, I don't remember saying that, right? Somewhere in your vows, it probably said to have and to hold, to have and to hold from this day forward. That was safe language for, I'm going to have sex with you, okay? And some of, some of the guys are, are kind of wondering, you know, uh, what happened to that, all right? Now, this may or may not apply to your marriage. I don't know. You have to apply it to your marriage. But some of the guys are wondering, when did that change? And you might be thinking, you know, I'll, uh, I'll have them. I'll have them, but I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to hold them anymore. 
We've done that. We've had the kids. That was that phase of our lives. We're moving on to a new phase. I'll have them, but I won't hold them. I'll have them cut the grass. I'll have him do the dishes. Right? I'll have his paycheck. But I won't have his body touching my body. Okay? This is an attitude that some women have. And it's an ungodly attitude. Okay? If you don't want to have sex with your husband, you shouldn't have gotten married. But you did get married. And you don't have the luxury now to be selfish with your body. You have the responsibility to do what Paul is asking. And that is to yield your body to your husband. Some of your ladies are going, you're freaking me out. <laughs> Some of your husbands are workaholics. They're hobbyholics. They don't ever seem to want to be home. And it could be that because when they do get home, all they get is a critical, complaining, nagging, quarrelsome wife. Right? Some of you ladies need to go home and, and ask your husband, why do you always work so late? And it could be that you don't need to concern yourself with the woman at his workplace. You need to concern, concern yourself with the woman at home. You need to give your husband a reason to come home. You need to give your husband a reason to miss you. And I'm talking about much bigger than sex here, ladies. Find out what his love language is. Say nice things to him. Right? Do nice things. Have sex. Give him a reason to miss you. Listen, some of the guys, when they go to work, they can do no wrong. And when they get home, they can't do anything right. I'm just telling you the way it is. <laughs> Love you. But you need to think about this. Okay? You need to apply it to your situation. You got a lot more amens than I got. Amen. <laughs> We're having a competition here. Amen. There we go. Okay, okay. So ladies, some of you need to go home and sincerely apologize to your husband and say, you know what? I've put my rights ahead of my responsibilities. Please forgive me. Thank you for that. I've... Okay, we need, to, we need to kind of move forward here. Let me talk to both the husbands and wives. I'm going to give you three reasons to say yes to sex in marriage and three reasons to say no to sex in marriage. Three reasons to say yes um, are right out of the passage we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Reasons to say yes, number one, God said to. Number two, spouse wants to. And number three, temptation. Three reasons to say yes to sex and marriage. God said to, spouse wants to, and temptation. Here are three reasons to say no to sex and marriage. Sickness, for sickness reasons, for spiritual reasons, and for sinful reasons. Those are three reasons to say no. Sin sickness reasons is kind of self-explanatory. Your wife's just had a baby. You've got to wait. Okay. Or your, your wife is ill or you're ill or there's some type of medicine or medical condition that's going on there. And so sex isn't going to be what sex used to be. Are you with me? 
spiritual reasons. Paul addresses this. There's a time to say no to the physical so you can say yes to the spiritual. Fasting is, is physical denial for spiritual gain. There's going to be times when you're going to say, you know what? We're going to put sex on the back burner for right now. We're going to put God on the front burner. All right, we're going to put prayer and fasting. And some of you guys are going, I like that because I can pray and fast for about a, about a day. And then after that, we're back at it, right? Uh, I don't think that's what Paul was saying, okay? And the third reason to say no to sex in marriage is for sinful reasons. Sinful reasons. If there is adultery, if there is a sexual addiction, right? If there is abuse, there is a place for boundaries within married sex where you say, you know what? We can't have sex right now. And let me break that down for you. Ladies, if your husband has an addiction to pornography or he's having an affair or he is abusing you or he is asking you to do something sinful that, and sexual, you have the authority to confront him one on one. And by the way, your husband's living in sin because of that. You have the authority to confront him one on one and say, you know what, that is, you're living in a sinful lifestyle. If he responds, if he repents, if he changes, forgive him. Rebuild that trust and reconnect physically. Have that sex again. Now, exactly when all that happens, get a good counselor. Talk to somebody who's been there, done that, okay? Now, if you confront him and he doesn't change, okay? He's living in sin. He doesn't change. You have the authority to go around your husband to a higher authority, Matthew chapter 18, and you can go to the church and you can say, I've confronted my husband. He's living in sin. He refuses to change. The church can then join you and confront your spouse, husband or wife, right? And if they change, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Rebuild that trust and have sex again at some point. Are you with me this morning? Okay, just some practical Lord willing, biblical advice about when to have sex and when not to have sex. And now we're going to wrap it up. Glad it's almost over. (laughs) Think about it like this. We are beginning a discussion. Okay, just like last week, Pastor Jason brought up some stuff, beginning a discussion, an ongoing discussion. This message is bringing up hopefully some discussion within your marriages, within your homes. Okay. It's not the conclusion. It's the beginning. It's the first chapter of a book, perhaps. Okay. The last thing that makes sex so great. First is God. Second is marriage. And the third is intimacy. Intimacy. And Carrie referred to this. This is what we need to hear. Guys, sex is not intimacy. Sex is not intimacy. But intimacy can lead to sex. The goal in marriage is not sex. The goal in marriage is intimacy. It's not for two bodies. The goal in marriage is not for two bodies to connect, but two souls. Where your mind, your will, your emotions, your bodies are all coming together in a climatic moment called sex. Okay. That's what God intended. Animals have sex, but they don't have intimacy. Okay. We're not a bunch of animals. Okay, where we can't control ourselves. We are human beings created in the image of God, given the Holy Spirit, the ability to exercise self-control. 
And we are, we are in the image of God, meaning we have a soul, we have a mind, will, and emotions. We have this part of us that the animal kingdom does not have. Don't act like an animal, act like a human. And bring not just your body to the bedroom, bring your heart to the bedroom. Intimacy. Here's some advice for guys. Guys, you're not going to like me, but I'm going to say something for the girls too. This is good for us. My advice for the guys is is don't focus on sex. Focus on intimacy. Focus on those intimacy conversations with your spouse. Okay? I know this is hard for you to believe, but sex is not a need. (laughs) It's quiet in this place. (laughs) Men and women have lived their entire lives without sex. And they have not died, and they have not even gotten sick. (laughs) Right? Water is a need. Food is a need. Sex is not a need, but intimacy is. Okay? So for guys, focus on intimacy. For ladies, maybe you need to hear the opposite advice. You're real good at the intimacy thing, right? Well, we just need to focus on that. How about you let your husband focus on that part? And maybe you focus on the sex part. Quiet in here, <laughs> right? See, it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 5, God tells men, husbands, through the apostle Paul, to do something that's difficult for men to do. And God tells women to do what's difficult for women to do. Are you with me? So maybe the advice is, husbands this morning, why don't you focus on intimacy rather than sex? And women, why don't you focus maybe on sex and not the intimacy piece? So do what's difficult for you. And somehow, somewhere in this mix, people will know that married Christians are disciples of Jesus Christ by how they love one another sexually. Could it be that married sex can actually become worship to Jesus and a testimony to the world that we don't have to love each other sexually like everybody else is doing it? Are you with me? Stand to your feet this morning and let's pray. God, thank you this morning for your word that um, is powerful and practical. And Lord, we just ask that today that whether we're single, whether we're married, that how we live out our sexuality, which is God-given, it's from you. How we live it out, God, would, would honor you, would please you, but also would be a testimony how we've been a changed people. God, I thank you that you've given us the ability to be pure and holy in how we live out our sexuality. God, for those singles, I pray this morning and they're thinking, man, that's a great message about sex and marriage, but man, I can't go home and practice that. God, I pray you would encourage them. God, I thank you that, God, you've given them the ability to to exercise self-control outside of marriage and you've given married couples the ability to exercise self-control within marriage. God, we just pray that we would conduct ourselves sexually in a way that pleases you and worships you and makes a name for you. In Jesus' name.
I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come forward this morning. If you'd like prayer on how to improve your sex life,